0: All right, you guys, if you're ready to change not only your life, but your sex life, this is the episode for you. We sit down with Angelica Lindsay-Ali, also known as the Village Auntie, and one of my favorite parts of the episode, I must say, is she talks about this one technique that I bet you have never heard of before, but says that it can make you orgasm and squirt without any sort of penetration. And there's really not a whole lot out there about it, but she knows all about it. Also, we get into hip beads, West African dance moves, prayer, all kinds of good stuff. She's a Muslim sex educator. You're going to absolutely fall in love with her. You guys enjoy. And if you do, let us know. Post it on your social media. We will repost it. We always love seeing your feedback. And you can also leave a review on iTunes. It helps us out tremendously. So much love. Hey, Whitney. Hey, girl.
1: Um, I know that we've had a lot of interesting guests who do unexpected things, right?
0: Very true. Mm-hmm.
1: But today, Village Auntie is here with us. People probably know her from that Instagram handle. Her name is Angelica Lindsay Ali. And she's bringing together a bunch of traditions to help women understand their sexuality. That might It might blow people's minds how how her approach to sex ed
0: works. Oh, there's no doubt that it will blow people's minds. I mean, after reading, you know, through her Instagram and looking at her website, this, I'm super excited about this. And you got me very, very excited. But once I really dove into everything she has going on, I'm now like a mega fan.
1: (laughs) Angelica, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. That is a lovely introduction. I hope I live up to it.
1: (laughs) You, There's no way you can't. Okay, so I first discovered you through Instagram. Um, Some of my followers are observant Muslims, most of them from Southeast Asia. They're also friends. And um, I had no idea, even with my background in anthropology, about some of the traditions that you're bringing to people as an honorary village auntie. Can you just explain why you call yourself that and the tradition of the village auntie?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, So the village auntie is really a role that has existed in traditional African cultures for millennia. And and you can find it all over the continent. And she's basically a woman in the community. She's not necessarily biologically related to you. Most times she's not. She's fictive kin. Uh, She would be the person that you send your daughter to before she starts her menstrual cycle. Uh, Husbands go to her when they are having problems performing in the bedroom. She might be a person who dispenses folk remedies and herbal medicines. Uh, She is a person... That people in the village can rely on for information, but there's no shame or guilt attached because that's the role that she's taken on in the community as an educator. So, when I started doing this work, at first I was a bit hesitant to put my name out there just because, you know, this is pretty salacious in some circles within the Muslim community. So, it was my way of sort of having a Clark Kent slash superman (laughs) persona. (laughs) But it was also very descriptive, yeah.
1: You you are the superwoman of blending um, Islam and sex positivity and sex ed, and it is really impressive. I can see why you needed a moniker, um, because I can see how it would have stirred some controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering, can you tell us about your journey to Islam and also to sex ed?
2: Sure. So I was raised Christian. I was raised in the Church of Christ. Um, I grew up in Northwest Detroit. We were at church every Yay, Sunday. Yay,
1: Detroit. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we read church every Sunday. We were there on Wednesdays for Bible study, Friday night for family nights. Uh, but there came a time when I went to university, University of Michigan. Um, go blue. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, a crisis, a spiritual crisis. I was no longer um, believing in a lot of the things that I was being taught in church, but I still had a very strong sense of spirituality. So I went on a quest and, you know, I, I studied a variety of different uh, religions. And then I found a book on Sufism and I said, oh, OK, this mm-hmm. is But it still didn't give me really any form or fashion in terms of of religion. I was still a person that, you know, I like ritual. And so um, the book on Sufism led me into studying about Islam. And I studied for four years from 1994 until 1998, because I was a very, very strong skeptic. And I had a (laughs) boyfriend at the time. He was planning to convert to Islam. And I said, well, I'm going to study Islam and just show you how it's wrong. I'm going to show you how. I was one of those people. Um, (laughs) And four years later, um, I converted. So I converted in August of 1998 and around April, 1998. So just five months before, at the time, I was a professional African dancer. And I was at a dance conference in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio, and I was going across the floor and I was experiencing really, really bad cramping. I didn't have my period. I knew that wasn't it, but it was literally having me doubled over every time I passed across the floor. And when the class ended, the teacher came over to me and she said, you need to tie your belly with a lapa, which is the, like the two-yard piece of fabric that we tie around our waist when we dance. She mm-hmm. said, so you need to tie your belly with a lapa because your uterus is tipped. And you need to drink some Kinkly Ba tea. And I just looked at her. You know, here's this middle-aged, Senegalese woman. She's a phenomenal dancer, but I know for a fact that she's not a doctor. So she's how? greeting doctor- you. Right. <laughs> so a couple weeks later, I went to my annual Well Woman exam, and the doctor told me that I had an inverted uterus. Oh, lord. And- if I was going to continue, you know, to to do African dance and and other activities, that it would be good if I wore something to brace myself. So I was basically given the exact same information that you gave me
1: different and, discourse,
2: same yes. insight exact same insight. And so I Except called one her.
0: with like a, a, what is it? A Kinkley bot?
2: Yes. Kinkley bot tea, which is, it's a, it's a, it's actually a very popular tea in, in Senegal. It's used for a variety of reasons. Um, but it's, it is a womb tonic. That's what it's for. So I called her in New York and I'm like, what? how did you know this? And she said, well, Angelica, I'm a woman who knows myself and women who know themselves can teach other women to know themselves. And that's Ooh. how I started, yeah, right. And that's
1: how and I got started mm-hmm. oh my gosh. so you you meld together these traditions. you're sorry that I'm fixated on this, but like in my own work, I'm a comparativist i I mm-hmm. use different discourses, different points of view, right? Like it's not enough to just do sociology. you also have to look at medicine, and you have to look at feminist cultural criticism, right and and so on. I think it's so cool. The just how much sense it makes to bring together these ways of seeing that people haven't you're using african dance mm-hmm. sex ed, western sex education, African sex education, mm-hmm. and sort of community mindedness and Islam to help women enjoy sex more. Can you just when when did the inspiration hit that you really had to help women particularly? observant Muslim women um, feel permission to enjoy sex more.
2: I think the light bulb shifted for me because I've been doing this work for a long time, but it was mainly within like my friend circles or, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend would say, oh, hey, I heard that you do X, Y, Z. But it wasn't until 2000, had to be 2011, 2012, I was living in Saudi Arabia and I was actually there with a group of African-American expats and we were having Thanksgiving in July. So we had turkey and, you know... (laughs) And I was having a conversation with one of the women and I knew that she had like nine children and we were having a conversation about something that was very basic regarding sex ed and she didn't know this. And so we were talking And before I knew it, I turned around and all of the women in the room were just listening in on our conversation. And that let me know that there was something key that was missing in the education of Muslim women, whether they were born into Islam or they had converted to Islam. And I started getting phone calls and it it really hit home that these women needed a different type of education when uh, women would reach out and ask questions about what can I do to better please my husband Or my husband says that I don't X, Y, Z, or um, I really want to, while my husband, everything was centered around sex as being a duty and they didn't see it as Mm -hmm. an act. They sort of dissociated themselves from the pleasure and saw it as being a responsibility of a wife. And there's nothing in Islam that says that they have to do that. And so I said, okay, I have to do something.
1: (laughs) It's time to do something about this.
2: Yes,
0: I love that you stepped up to that too, right? Because I feel like a lot of people would have been maybe almost like overwhelmed by that because from what I know about Islam, Islam and and sex and talking about sex don't really go hand in hand. Is that right?
2: It's right in a modern sense, but it's not right in a fundamental sense. So um, in Islam, sex is actually an act of worship. So when Mm -hmm. you have sex, you are actually performing a type of worship and people forget that. There are certain prayers that you say before you engage in sex. Um, There's a specific prayer that a man can say before he ejaculates. Like it, it, it's, and Islam is very prescriptive. There are various um, traditions from the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that talk about foreplay, talk about what he did with his wives, talked about the importance of foreplay, admonishing men not to rush when they're engaging in sex, um, saying that women should, you know, marry whom they will. And that prescriptive part of the religion is covered over because we have this modern notion of shame when it comes to sex. So what I do, it seems revolutionary, but it's really reclaiming uh, the traditions that exist within Islam. I think the prohibition that a lot of people see is, oh, well, you shouldn't talk about specific sex acts publicly. And the way that I get around it is I, I use fruit and I use vegetables. You know, I don't use nudity. But I still talk about things in a way that is educational. But I, I make it so that nobody can can say that I'm, I'm transgressing the boundaries of Islam. But Islam is actually an extremely sex positive religion. Okay, did wow. you hear that,
1: everybody? Because that's a reframing that a lot of people might be surprised by that Islam is a sex positive religion. I wouldn't know it if not for my observant Muslim friends and you, Angelica. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a message that will surprise a lot of people, and they should go on your Instagram
2: to For see sure. the way
1: to see the way you use, you know, um, Islamic texts to mm-hmm. make your point. It's mind blowing and really beautiful too. I have to say, the use of the fruit and you know the images of yourself and other women are really beautiful.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: actually have started. Well, for a while, you've been doing workshops,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Whitney and I. I mean, I get how you went from that initial initial conversation in Saudi Arabia, where all those women were listening to you, to now. You know, you have helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of women, understand the link between Islam and sex positivity and various African traditions and rights. And now, people can sign up for workshops with you. Yeah. And one of the things that Whitney and I loved was the way you teach women about feminine rites of passage mm-hmm. and some African sexual techniques. Yes. <laughs> can you can you talk about some of the things that that people get to do and learn in your workshops?
2: So, one of my most popular um workshop offerings is kunyaza. So kunyaza is an East African technique. It originates in uh, Rwanda and it is a technique that is used to elicit female ejaculation. So basically I teach women how to squirt and oh, yeah.
0: Man. We like that
1: here.
2: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we like that uh, a lot. Say and, more. Right. <laughs> so um the technique that I was taught, that I learned, and I didn't—I I didn't really teach it to a lot of women because I thought, okay, well, you know, everybody probably can do this. And I can't remember—it was a friend or someone that were asking about it, and I said, oh, I can teach you. And it caught on from there. And when I do the workshops, I do them in person. And they're very, very hands-on. So there are certain things that I won't do on social media because you know I'm a Muslim woman. Um, you know, I have a certain standing in the community. I don't ever want to give anyone cause to, you know, disparage me. But when we're in a workshop together, it, it's like, you know, all bets are off. I have Know dildos, I have vaginal models, I have a strap on that I use because I have to show like proper positioning because this is a technique that women will then go back and teach their partners. And you know, we talk about different sex positions, we talk about simple kunyaza, complex kunyaza, and it's really liberating when women discover that this is not something new, like, this is a part of the culture in Rwanda, in Uganda, in Tanzania, you know, in Kenya, and all of these. Places where this is this is a, an element of traditional African culture, so it gives women the permission to be more expansive in their sexual vocabulary, and it's fun, and it's it's actually really really easy. But but I think when people see me do it, I feel like they think it's okay because they're like, well, if she's all wrapped up and you know she's freaky like this, maybe I can do it too. So that that's, right. that's it fun
0: you're giving permission to these women to really open up to that because they can watch someone like you
2: be Mm -hmm. there too. Exactly.
1: You know what I wanted to say as well about this? Okay. First of all, I, I know that you probably want to save it for your workshops, but if you would give us a few pointers from Kunyaza,
2: that would be amazing.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah, go ahead. No. So kunyaza is actually, so what, what happens is that there, there are two forms of cunyaza. So simple cunyaza is basically just the tapping of the penis, or you could use like a penile model, right? It's the tapping on the labia majora and minora and the clitoris. So it's a very, it starts with a very light and gentle tapping. It works best when a woman is already aroused. Um, but, and and there's some form of lubrication. So you can't just go in like, you know, willy nilly. You have to work up to it. And what, happens, <laughs> what happens with the tapping is that you're stimulating the part of the clitoris that you can't see. So lots of women think that the clitoris is just, you know, the little, um, Glands, clitoris that is is extended outside of um, the vagina, but actually, the lips it's it's shaped like a horseshoe. I say it looks like a brontosaurus, but you know, and it does, right? My God, I've never
0: thought that before. I'm gonna have to look it up now. I think it kind of looks like a wishbone, a double wishbone, a a brontosaurus.
2: Mm-hmm. So what you're doing is you're actually it's actually a form of clitoral stimulation. And so what happens when you do the light tapping? Then it begins to increase in intensity. And what that does is if a woman relaxes, so you definitely have to relax and not hold your breath because one of the natural instincts is to hold your breath and sort of clench your uh, vaginal muscles together. But if you relax and you get into it then it can actually cause a release of fluid from the skin's glands and that is squirting which is actually wow yeah it's 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 fun so that's simple cunyaza. there's another form of clonyaza with with and it doesn't require any penetration that's the other thing that I like because a lot of the women um, who come to me have had female genital cutting so, you know, mm-hmm. that's a challenge for them, but it doesn't require any penetration. There's a form of complex kunyaza where you can just sort of put the tip of the penis in. Um, but I like it because it's completely centered on female pleasure. And in um, Rwandan culture and Ugandan culture, if a man cannot make a woman squirt, he's seen as less than a man. He's seen as Ooh. fearful. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. It's, it's,
1: no, no pressure, guys, listening. But do you hear that?
0: Yeah, exactly. You say that one louder. <laughs> oh,
1: you know what's so interesting is that before we got on here, I did a little digging about cunyaza and you know Western researchers and scientists and doctors' understanding of it, and I figured they would be. Um, you know, too probably xenophobic to have a look at it, but it turns out that there are numerous studies, and in one of them, I don't need to tell you this. Angelica or the people in in Central Africa who already know this, but there was one study done where um investigators taught women who described themselves as having orgasmic dysfunction. They taught them Kunyaza in a clinical setting. And it was um, a cohort of 55 women who were suffering from, who described themselves as anorgasmic. They were between the ages of 20 and 56. Mm -hmm. 60, almost 64% of them using Kunyaza were able to have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. such a great, Technique for people to understand, and you know, I don't think that people know how much sex positivity
2: comes from these African traditions. Absolutely, and you know, it. There are not a lot of people. I don't know of any other Americans who are teaching kunyaza right now. There may be, but you know, I don't know of any. Um And when I tell people that it works, they don't believe me until they try it. And I had a woman who um, I didn't even do a full workshop with her. It was a Facebook Live and like a women's group. And I I really explained in detail how to perform cunyaza. I think I had a dildo and a, a, a wondrous vulva puppet and I was showing them. And she sent me a message the next day on Instagram. She said, I've been with my partner for 15 years. I've never had an orgasm until last night. She said, I took the night in tears because I have been to therapy, I've been to sex therapy, and I thought that something was wrong with my body. She had been molested as a child. Like she had lots of different traumas that she was dealing with. She said, but we tried this technique and oh my gosh, it works. And that was the best, like that was the best thing that I had ever heard because I knew that it worked, but just giving people permission to try something different, you really see how it can transform sex. And can you
0: walk that. us? Yeah. So how many taps do you think you have to do? I'm just <laughs> really interested. Like, I'm like, all right, right. I'm about I'm to do solo... we didn't dig into this far enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 So <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> how um, can I make this happen? Because it's like you talk to someone who hasn't had an orgasm in fifteen years, has mm-hmm. a you know, past sexual trauma, and you would think by going to therapy and really diving into some of those areas that she'd be able to work through that, but from tapping on the clitoris and being able to get into the areas of the clitoris that you can't actually see with your eye Mm is allowing her to get to that point. So I don't know. I'm just mind blown right now.
2: (laughs) You know, I think, I think one of the ways, so, so I don't know the number of taps. It will really depend. I always tell women, don't rush it. It can take anywhere from eight to 20 minutes for a woman who's completely at rest, like, yeah, I'm just watching, you know, Real Housewives of. Atlanta or whatever, and then here you come, you know, with an erect penis. Okay, let's get it on. Right, it could take eight to twenty minutes to get to a point where like the 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 squirting actually happens. So I tell women that they should be um, patient, but also be instructive. So there's a position, and I'm not sure which tradition it comes from. It's called yab yum. So it's sort of like um, the couple is facing each other. This is how I tell couples when they're starting with cunyaza, and the woman's legs would be over her partner's legs and it gives her partner the ability to sort of control the the angle and the width of how far her legs are spread apart but she gets to be instructive so if he's going too slow you can tell him to speed up and i think the beauty of Kunyaza is that it's completely female centered and female directed so you don't mm. have to feel as if you're just waiting for that point of penetration no the the goal is ejaculation. So the act doesn't stop until the woman ejaculates. And for the person who is, you know, using a penis, a dildo or whatever, there is an element of visual stimulation that they get because it's, it's like, um, you know, these kids who have these, this is probably a terrible analogy, but you know, these kids have these surprise eggs on YouTube. I have little kids and they love like opening the surprise egg. There's like, oh my gosh, it's something inside. That's the same thing with Kundalini. It's like, oh my gosh, there's water dripping out of your vagina. So something it's- amazing this time. <laughs> right. And the, you know, you, you feel powerful, you feel strong, but the woman also feels protected. She feels centered. And once you relax and, and let go, I would say on average it takes between mm, seven to ten minutes is, is a good sweet spot. And and that, you know, the number of taps really just depends on um the person and the good thing about kumyaza is you can do it with a very small penis. You can do it with a very large penis. That's another thing that I like about it. Oops. Is it supports male body nice. positivity also?
1: And yeah, I, I like your point as well. That you know, for those of our listeners who are queer, you, two women can do this, right? Mm-hmm. You can use a dildo. You can use um, a, a vibrator.
2: Um, this. Could you use your hand? You can use your hand. If you use your hand, then what you would do is you would have to do complex cunyaza. So complex cunyaza is a little bit um, it, it's a little bit easier, actually. I think with com- complex cunyaza. So with complex cunyaza, basically what you're going to do, if you're using your fingers, you would stick two fingers in right up until about the second ridge, so halfway, and you would. St- insert them into the vagina and do like a come hither motion. And you'll feel an area that feels like uh, the the surface of an orange. So it's a little bit um, textured and you would press there and you would press there the same rhythm that you would do tapping. And what happens is you'll fill that area fill up with fluid and that those are the skein's glands. And once it fills up with fluid, again, if a woman relaxes and she lets go, then she can squirt. So that's another way that you can do klingonza. Love that. And
0: Whitney I have a really busy afternoon. You have that much. (laughs) And then I think we
1: have a workshop to sign up for too, Whitney. I hope you're doing these virtually, village auntie, because
2: Yeah. Well, I have to now because of of quarantine. I just have to make sure like there's no screen recording or (laughs) or anything. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because this would actually be a great time for women. Mm -hmm. We know we're in quarantine, we're staying at home. This could be a really great time for women to do one of your workshops on this or do a coaching session with you on this virtually because, hey, some of us have time on our hands. What a great thing to dedicate ourselves to for a while, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a perfect time to explore that.
1: The other thing that one of the other things um, from African culture that you incorporate that I think is so interesting is waist beads and um, other things from African dance and, and African culture for, for seduction and mm-hmm. creative mood and enticement as you put it. Can you talk to yeah. us about waist beads and Bethios?
2: Sure. So um, waist beads are very popular now. You see people wearing them with swimsuits and, you know, wearing them on top of like jeans and things like that. And I always just cringe just a little bit because from a traditional standpoint, it will be like wearing a bra on the outside of your clothes. Like they're not, <laughs> and I, you know, and I get it. Women want to be liberated. They want to be free. You know, I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. But the way that I was talk about waist beads is that it's something that is a way to acknowledge the sanctity of your body and the sacredness of womanhood. Um, so they're not something that you show to everyone in the world, because everyone's you know set of waist beads is different. Women wear different designs, they wear different numbers, and waist beads are great because not only are they a tool for helping to shape the body. So my daughters are five and, I'm sorry, seven and 12. They've been wearing waist beads since they were three and four years old. Uh, it's a way to, when they're little, for me to manage their weight, to see you know if they're not eating enough, um, you know, how how fast they're growing. But when it's an adult woman, uh, the waist beads are a great tool that can be used during sex. So um, they can turn your body into like a saddle, you know, you can grab waist beads, mm. you know, waist beads that glow in the dark um if you go to certain parts of west africa um you know men will say oh i can hear the sound of her waist beads like just the sound of it is really enticing and one of the things that i teach in my sacred body care class is i teach women how to use waist beads and betchels. so betchels are are like uh, lacy crochet uh underskirts it's like a form of lingerie and what you would do is after you get out of the shower you would stand over a pot of charcoal with incense on it and you would let the the Incense penetrate your skin, uh, your wet skin, so that the smell gets into your skin and it gets into your waist beads, and it creates this um, combination of you know olfactory moods and visual sensation, and you're hearing the waist beads, and it really makes women, really of any size, feel extremely sexy because your waist beads rest right on your hips, and it's just a way of enhancing womanhood. And again, these are all traditions that are centuries old.
0: And just to take a moment from the podcast, I wanted to talk to you guys about our new sponsor, Let's Get Checked. Now, they're doing testosterone tests where I find this really easy because it's uncomplicated. They can send it directly to your door. It's in discreet packaging, so nobody knows. You can collect your sample. You get to review your results. And then from there, a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone and you get a prescription if you need So what's really great about this is that you're able to check where your hormones are at. And I know for a lot of us out there, including women, it's really great to know where your testosterone levels are and for men as well. The first test that you get is your free testosterone, and that's the first biomarker that they test for. And why you want to know this is because your body uses it to produce sperm, maintain a healthy sex drive, maintain muscle strength and mass and produce red blood cells, which is absolutely important. So you guys check them out, get your testosterone checked. Super easy. Don't have to go to the doctor. Plus we're quarantined right now. So you need to stay home. This is a really easy way to do it. Head over to www.trylgc.com slash wild love. I'll say that again for you. It's www.trylgc.com slash wild love. And you get to save 20% off.
1: And so think about that, listeners, waist beads and
2: B E T H I O S.
1: Is that yes, the it's right pronounced,
2: It's pronounced Betchels. So it's like a French ish spelling. I get it. Yeah. And
1: sorry. So is that the undergarment
2: yes. part or is that the incense? Okay. That's the undergarment. So the incense, it really can be any type of incense. So betchels come from Senegal and Gambia. And in Senegal and Gambia, their traditional incense is known as churai. And it's a blend of woods, resins, sugars, and different oils. Each woman has her own um, combination of churai that she puts together. I was taught how to make it by Senegalese women when I lived in Saudi Arabia. So I make my own. And it's because cons- it itself is considered an aphrodisiac.
1: Ooh, okay, I need to know what's in there. Absolutely. Yeah, I know, right? Are you willing to share? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't have to tell us your personal your personal recipe, but just in general, cuz it oh, well, sounds like such a great thing to do.
2: In general, it's things like um frankincense, um acacia wood, um there are some other types of um agar wood that they mix together. And they blend that with different fragrant oils. And they some of the stuff, I don't even know what the name of it is. And right. you go, when you go to the market, you you pick out what you want to mix together. And it's so interesting. When I was first learning how to make it, I was just standing at the market trying to figure out what to make. And this older woman, she would not make her purchase until I left because she did not want me to see
0: what <laughs> Oh, she, she didn't, didn't want, to, want to
2: know. She didn't yes. want to share. Mm-hmm. she didn't want to share. But then when she saw me coming regularly, she was actually the person who was like, buy that. Or she would see me go to buy something and she would shake her head. So ultimately she's the one who taught me how to make it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination. But there are lots of, I mean, Senegal is just one culture. Um, Sudanese women use acacia wood to do something called dukan, um, which is the word for smoke. And what the way that they do it is they use um, a stool that has a hole cut in the center. They have the pot of smoke and you sit down over it for like hours and you cover yourself from neck to, to the ground and you just let the smoke envelop your entire body. And what it does is it helps to scent the skin, it helps to give the skin a nice glow. And then the wood itself helps to tighten temporarily tighten the skin in the vaginal area. So you know, it has other benefits as well. It's used before marriage. It's used after childbirth as a form of healing.
0: It's like a like a, a vulva or vaginal steam yeah. or something.
2: Yes, exactly.
0: And so, the, when you sit on this stool that has when it's cut out and the smoke envelopes you, this is for special occasions, right? Like this isn't like on a daily because you said you have to do it for hours.
2: Yeah, so it would be well. it Depends. I mean, if you're getting married, you might do it every day. Uh, if, oh, you're a mar- if you're a married woman, and you may not be for hours. It may be for an hour. Um, it may be mm-hmm. for more than that. Um, married women in Sudan uh, might do it once a week. Uh, you might do it for special occasions. But I know like with the churai and the smoking, it's something that I try to do, if not every day, every other day. Um, just because if, it's nice. It feels nice. You feel very, um, it's, it's an aspect of f- performative femininity to it that I really like. Um, mm. That's different than westernized femininity. Um, it's a very private ritual that I can do um, for myself. But yeah, I mean, it, it just depends on how often you would want to indulge.
0: It kind of seems like it's a, almost a self-care ritual.
2: It, it abs- that's exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. It's a self-care ritual.
1: And you also, okay, I have one quick question. I want to get to dance it for in a minute, but I want to go back also to the waist beads for a second. Can you give people tips, Angelica, on how and where they can get them? How do they find ones that really speak to them and, you know, connect with for them and resonate for them
2: emotionally and sexually? Um, I always say that you should... Veer towards the colors that resonate most with you. And there are a lot of people making waste beads now. And you can find waste beads for $300 and $400 per strand. Um, I don't think you have to spend that much money. You can also make your own waste beads. It's as simple as you know, getting beads that you like that are not too heavy and stringing them on dental floss. Dental floss is great to use because if you double it, it doesn't break. the phrase. Um, that's a great act of self-care also, because then you can put together the colors that you want. If you want to use gemstones, you can use gemstones. Typically what happens, um, at least in Senegal and Gambia, the smaller the stones, so like seed beads, um, those would be more for younger women. And then as you get older, you get the privilege of wearing larger and more ornate beads. So it's like something you have to earn your way into. You can't go straight to the fancy beads right away. Um, so I'm
1: 54. I get the good ones, and Whitney's yeah, I'm 30. 50. I'm sorry, Whitney. You get the little beads.
0: I get the big <laughs> I get the little ones. ones. You know, what? I'm actually on here now, looking at a bunch of um, African waist beads, and they're so beautiful. I mean, I can see why mm-hmm. people wear them on the outside of their clothes. If if traditionally they're worn, you know, underneath your mm-hmm. clothing, because right. some of them are just so beautiful. I'm like, if I spent all that time making my waist bead, I'm wearing right. outside. <laughs>
1: Like, <laughs> I'm wearing mine inside, so it's like my little secret.
0: Yes. Ooh. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's how yeah. I'm gonna do it. That's a great activity for a weekend or hey, quarantine. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Just make those waist beads, right?
0: Right, why not? Right.
1: We're gonna ha- these are gonna be the best show notes we've ever had, Whitney. I know. It's going to be so surprising to people. Um, I want to go back and talk a little bit about dance, Angelica. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us? I mean, it was so cool hearing you say that you first understood about traditional African wisdom from the woman who was watching you dancing and could literally make a diagnosis about a medical issue you had from watching you dance Mm -hmm. and from her many years of expertise observing women's bodies. Mm -hmm. So that's a really cool foundation for your work. How do you blend dance into your work and what role has it played for you personally in
2: sexual education? So personally, um, dance has just been something that I've always wanted to do, but I didn't feel I had access to when I was growing up. Um, I'm 5'11". I was very, very thin. But because you know I have a black woman's body, even though being very thin, you know I had you know really thick thighs, you know really thick calves, you know I had you know ample backside even when I was very thin. And when I would want to go to ballet class, of course my body type is is you know it's disparaged. It's not looked. It's not <sighs> looked upon. Like you know you got too much backside in that leotard. And when I found African dance as an adult, I immediately took to it because it. it To me, it feels like a moving form of prayer. There's something that happens when your body connects to the rhythm of the drums and you're dancing in unison with everyone. And so the way that I use it in my work is I use it to infuse body positivity. So in a lot of my workshops, we will end with a dance circle. Uh, I'll teach them some steps and then I'll have each woman go out into the middle of the circle and dance. And you know, you'll have sisters who'll say, Oh, I'm too big or I'm too uncoordinated. And my motto is all bodies, all beats. Like you dance on whatever
0: mm-hmm.
2: beat of your heart you're dancing to, then go ahead and dance to it. You know, if you're thin, if you're big, if you're tall, if you're short, it really doesn't matter. Um, And I think that that's liberating for a lot of women because the movements that I teach them are movements that we've been told are too loose and why are you shaking your butt like that? And why are you doing this? And why are you doing that? And it's like, this is the one space when we have African dance, this is the one space where you are allowed to move all those parts of your body that you told, you know, you were prohibited from moving, especially for Muslim women. And then there's an aspect of internal toning that happens. So, you know, when I'm teaching a woman how to roll her hips, I'm also talking to her about how you're massaging those, you know internal female organs and how you can do certain positions and certain dances when you're having menstrual cramps. I talked to them about how I danced through the labor of my second child. And this was one of the things that I did to um, ease contraction. so it 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 African dance just provides a nonverbal tool for teaching that I think resonates with women. Um, struggle with body positivity and body awareness?
1: You know, I think Whitney and I can both speak to that because before we started recording, we were talking a little bit, Angelica, about how I um, studied African dance with the great Vera Embry at the University of Michigan. Mm
2: -hmm. I only
1: took about four classes with her, but it was fantastic. But I was coming from a ballet tradition. Mm -hmm. I had done ballet for many years as a young woman. And I always was coming from the viewpoint that something was wrong. I mean, I was 12 years old and the ballet teacher was telling me that my stomach stuck out too much. I was a skinny kid. And Mm. as I became an adolescent, ballet really gave me a lot of self-discipline and athleticism and um, a lot of things that I really appreciate. But what I didn't appreciate was the anorexia. I didn't appreciate, you know, all the girls being encouraged to be As thin and to be less, always, always be less. And then I took African dance at the University of Michigan. And the idea that there was a dance tradition where I got to move my body now it was just as
2: rigorous, it was
1: just as hard, Mm -hmm, but it was much more joyful and felt so sexy.
2: It does. It absolutely does feel sexy. Absolutely.
1: And Whitney certainly. Knows about coming from a tradition beauty pageant culture where she was just so shamed and harassed about her body. Oh yeah, (sighs) yeah,
0: for sure. And I mean, I feel like that happens to women from all backgrounds, regardless if they were you know dancing or in pageants or anything. Unfortunately, Um, but one of the things that I found interesting that I wanted to touch on that you said, Angelica, was I. So I started doing ecstatic dance a lot. Mm -hmm. And where it's just basically you just move your body in all sorts of ways and without judgment and criticism that we would usually have if we're dancing, you know, with other people or in front of other people. What what do people think of me? Do I look funny. I shouldn't be moving this way. Um, but I found that when I'm if I move my belly in certain ways, like exactly like you said, it's massaging like my organs mm-hmm. or my muscles or something that I would have never been able to do otherwise. And it's just such a cool experience to feel that connected to your
2: body. It is. And it's so interesting that you even need something to help you feel connected to your body. It feels like that's mm-hmm. something that's happened, but it's, you don't really know it until you experience it. And then once you experience it, you never want to not experience it again. Yes. Yeah.
1: You know, it's interesting. I remember in my African dance class, Vera Embry, I remember thinking, you know, I'm from like a kind of like uptight Midwestern white bread tradition. And I remember being in that class, I've been interested in sex forever. And my mother was pretty open about stuff. But when I was in that class, it was so different from ballet that I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe on the first day of the class, like, this is like awfully, you know, like out there and sexy. And um, (laughs) I remember Professor Embry saying, like looking at us all and saying, when you're doing this move, I can't remember if it was a hip circle move or what it was. She said, basically, you're showing the people who are watching you, look how good I am in bed.
2: Yes. Yes, Yes, you are.
1: (laughs) Yes, She just cut through all the shit and she was Mm -hmm. like, let's talk about what dance traditions can be and, you know, how affirming and how out there they can be and how they can help us get over our hangups. And it sounds like that's exactly how you use African dance in
2: your (laughs) workshops. That 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 is exactly the way that I use it. Because it again, it's giving women permission. And people will tell you, when I went to Senegal for the, the first time, it was in 99, and there were older women at this wedding. And my friend, uh, she was actually the sister of uh, the man that I was dating at the time. And she's like, can you tell us to go out there and dance, go out there and dance? And at first, I didn't want to. And I went out and danced. And afterwards, all of the women were coming up and they're saying these things to me and Wolof and I didn't understand, but I saw that my friends sort of had an attitude. I said, well, what's wrong? She said, they they were saying that you should dump my brother and get with their sons because they can tell that you're going to, you know, make some good babies. And I was like, oh my, <laughs> oh oh my
1: gosh. gosh. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> that was some, some honest <laughs> signaling.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. So it was, it, you know, it's it's just, it, it, again, it's another way because uh, there are a lot of muslim women that i work with who say that um you know they've been told that they can't dance and they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that and the way that i get around it i say well this is an all women setting you know we're using drums this is an all women setting you know you can be free and there's a moment when you see it click in a woman's mind and she just literally just lets go and it's it's a beautiful thing to watch
1: these are the most unexpected tools probably in sex ed for a western industrialized person like probably there if there are sex educators listening now and sex researchers cuz some of them listen to our podcast mm-hmm. i love the way you are giving these people not to mention our listeners and your followers you're putting all these tools into people's hands and they're not made up tools there there are traditions here there mm-hmm. have been Basically, you know, clinical trials going on for hundreds if not thousands of years with some of these yes. <laughs> these tools that you're putting into people's hands. I want to thank you for that.
2: Well, thank you. And 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 that's why I tell people I'm not I'm not inventing anything new. I'm not terribly revolutionary. This is not innovative. This is going back and reclaiming those traditions that we've lost or we've been disconnected from or we've pushed to the side um, to try to, you know, do something new and exciting. But really, tradition, you know, can have a lot of the tools that we need to get what we want and desire in life.
1: The other thing I want people to know about you is that you do provide this experiential learning related to feminine rites of passage. um, But you also um, are a certified sexual health educator. You've been working in the field of public health for 15 years. You've been yeah. providing one-on-one support to women for 20 years, and you mm-hmm. you trained in female reproductive and sexual health, HIV and STI prevention, epidemiology, prenatal and postnatal sex ed. So there's a lot of a real depth of knowledge from both um, traditional Western and African traditions that you're pulling together, which, you know, is wholly unique to me in my mind. I, I can't think of anybody else doing it.
2: Uh-uh. Yeah. And I, and I think, and I also have religious training too. So I have, you know, I have training in, you know, religious rulings regarding um, women's health. And I think that is one of the things that has made me successful and able to deal with people Um, who are would-be detractors, because I have a solid base of knowledge. I have a solid base of information. I, you know, I sit with people from the CDC and, you know, I, you know, I, I do papers. I do presentations and proposals in a professional setting. So this is not just something, you know, I'm just a lady in a hijab talking about sex. Like I really do this as a profession. And I think that is one of the reasons why women trust me, because if I don't know something, I'm going to tell you that I don't know it. But the things that I am able to share are so much deeper than what they expect. And that's why um, I think the movement is growing the way that it is.
0: Yeah. It's almost like you're a bridge between the two worlds, right?
2: Mm -hmm. And that's what I see myself as. I I always say that being raised non-Muslim is a protective factor um, because I was not raised to have an internalized sense of Shame that some, not all, because there are some Muslims who are like, right on, you know, I, I have the same approach in my family. I teach my daughters and my sons about sex all the time. But there are some people who come from communities where talking about sex, you know, was very shameful. And since I I chose Islam as an adult, I studied Islam as an adult. I wasn't married, I wasn't dating anybody, you know, i I, I started studying and, and came into this religion on my own so that has allowed me to be a bridge because I know both worlds and I know the professional I know the traditional I know the islamic and all of those things work together um in concert to just help women you know live their best lives
0: what um, a cool life what a what, cool like right? mission that you have on this on this planet
2: well, really you.
1: a cool thank mission and I want to just circle back because I think this will so, interest our listeners and be really relevant to them. Um, you know, Angelica, a lot of women and men who listen to our podcast um, are interested in open relationships or alternatives to lifelong monogamy. And mm-hmm. they experience a lot of criticism for that, a lot of shaming. Um, that they often feel really unsupported. Would you talk a little bit about how you have? dealt with detractors as a way to give them maybe a little bit of a blueprint and help them feel inspired? Because I know that you've come under fire and yet you, your following has never been bigger and people have never appreciated you more. What's your, what's your method for dealing with criticism and haters, if you will?
2: <laughs> uh, I, think, I think being over 40 helps. I'm 44. (laughs) I think it's so much better, right? Listen, Mm -hmm. there's there's something that clicks. Like on your 40th birthday, it's like your your BS meter just goes away. You just don't have time for it at all. I'll Um, wait until
1: 50, sister.
2: Yeah, I can't. I can't wait. I've heard it's gonna be. I've heard the '70s pretty awesome too. One of my mentors is oh, yeah. '74. She's like, "Just wait, the best is yet to come. The
1: best <laughs> is yet to come. The, the not giving a not giving one rat's ass. Yeah. It gets yeah. more. God, and
0: more I'm intense. ready.
2: Yeah, already.
0: So I just turned 31 like four days ago, so
2: oh, <laughs> I feel like oh. I'm
0: a little bit behind the times. But I'm fucking yep. ready. So if you got any tips to speed this up, you just let me know. Yep.
2: It gets better from here. And I, I think the other thing is that when you have a sense of certainty, I think it was Audre Lorde, um, and I'm going to do a terrible paraphrasing of her quote, but it's basically, you know, you cannot weaponize something that I already acknowledge within myself. So if I already mm-hmm. know, if I know something about myself and I'm certain in that, and I'm firm in that, and I know what I know, and I know who I am, then there's really nothing that you can say that can detract me. So you know, if people come and they say, well, Angelica, it's shameful for you to talk about sex because you're a Muslim woman. I'll just say, no, it's not. And then when they try to argue, I just stop listening because I know that it's not. It's not my role to convince them. It's not my role to validate myself in their eyes. I don't need their validation. I'm self-validated. Um, and so I think that, that that's very important, especially when you're living um, a different lifestyle. I, I work with couples where you know there are multiple wives in the home and You know, a lot of people have a problem with that, but you know, these are women who have chosen this type of life. And I, this is the the advice that I give them. You have women who are like, I never want to get married. You know, there are lots of people who have lots of different ways of being, but Mm -hmm. the challenge comes in when you're not sure, just like dogs can smell fear, people can smell uncertainty. And when you're not certain and you're not confident in who and what you are, um it can give it can give people room to 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 start to pick at you even if you have to fake it um it's better than than letting people know that you're insecure about your position to stand firm in your truth and live it stand firm
1: in in your truth and live it is so powerful and one part of that formula that's um particularly potent and i want to go back and paraphrase what you said i hope i get it right but what you said was that you don't need other people to validate you. And you also said that sometimes, you know, just want, do not engage, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes. Yeah. Because I think the problem that a lot of people have when they're trying to have a lifestyle or a sexual social strategy that other people disapprove of is they get really depleted trying to Explain to other people why it's okay rather than just standing in their feeling that it's okay.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't, you don't, if you try to please people, you'll waste so much time. And I know that because I used to try to respond to every person on Twitter, every person on Instagram uh, who would send me messages. And at some point, a friend of mine said, Angelica, you're above that now. And I'm like, no, no, no. What do you mean? She's like, no, 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 no. You're, you know, your movement is so much more important than people who want to nitpick everything that you say. You're wasting precious energy. That energy could be better spent supporting another woman. It could be better spent creating content. And that's what people really want to do. When they say you, they want to deplete your energy so that you'll They stop.
1: want to take your energy away yes, and they yes. want to detract from your expertise.
2: Absolutely. Right? They, the they want to tire energy. you out. <laughs> yep, <exactly. laughs> Yeah, That's it.
1: No more of that. I wonder if in closing, because I know we have to let you go because you're out there changing the world and you need to go continue (laughs) doing that. But I I wonder if one of the tools um, that people might not know they have and that you have shared on Instagram is prayer. And can you you speak a little bit to that about how it could help our listeners and how it helps the women that you work with, however they're defining prayer?
2: Mm -hmm. So for, you know, and for people who believe, you know, in a higher power, um, even for people who I have friends who are atheists, just having a conversation with yourself, having a conversation with your creator, right? It is the most liberating and transformative and personal conversation that you can have. Um, it allows you to express things. Prayer prayer is a vehicle where you can express things in a way that you cannot express um, to any other human being. And it, it really has a transformative power, especially for women, because it does not require an intercessor. You don't need a minister, a pastor, an imam, a rabbi. All you need is just yourself and your thoughts and expressing those thoughts to the creator. It really can help to Uh, Change a person's condition is something that I do regularly. Um, Prayer is something that I do even when I'm undertaking menial tasks. And it helps to give you that sense of certainty and foundation. It it builds up that level of spirituality that helps you access physical pleasure better. Prayer in and of itself, when it's done fervently, can be um, somewhat of a spiritually orgasmic experience if you give it its full you know, depth. So it's something, um, especially with working with Muslim women that I talk to them about all the time. And if you ever see me on an Instagram live, I always end with a prayer because I want women to know that this is a normal, everyday and easily accessible tool that you can use to change your life.
1: Oh, I love it. Will you end with a prayer for us right now?
2: Sure. Um, Thank give you. That- I pray that Allah continues to protect us and cover us with his grace and mercy. I pray for the health, safety, and mental well-being of all of those around the world who are affected. I pray for you, Wednesday, and Whitney, and your platform. I pray that it continues to increase and grow and educate and uplift women and men all over the world. Amin. Oh, I mean, oh,
1: Angelica, wow. Angelica Lindsay L. Lee, Village Auntie. Thank you <laughs> so much for being here with us today. Thanks this was such a cool, me.
0: yeah, very cool. And, and just, I think it was a powerful interview and, and one like we've never done before.
1: Well, completely, you. completely different. And people listening to this now have so many tools that they never expected were out there. You just helped us open our eyes to a number of traditions that many of us didn't know about. And now we have access to that power. It's incredible. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you for having me. This has been a wonderful, wonderful way to spend an afternoon in quarantine. (laughs) No, <laughs> oh, I love that.
0: Same here. And let people know how they can find you or sign up for your workshops or any other things that you have coming up.
2: So they can find me on Instagram at Village Auntie. That's V-I-L-L-A-G-E-A-U-N-T-I-E. Um, they can also find me on Twitter under the same name, at Village Auntie. And anytime I do a workshop or a class, it's always posted on my Instagram page first. I also have a link tree there with all of my workshops and course offerings. And if anyone wants to reach out, they want to bring me out uh, once Corona lets us free, um, they can always reach out and send an email to my management team at contact at com.
1: Now, awesome. you know, now you have the tools and the contact information and you can be in touch with Village Auntie and she can continue changing
2: your life. Because I mm-hmm. feel like my life was just changed. I really do. Yeah, I <laughs> yes. feel so good. I really. The feeling is definitely, definitely more than mutual. And I have to, I have to send you all some of the eyes so you can test it out yourselves.
0: Oh,
1: Lord, yes, yes please. I'm going to send you my address. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Same. all right ladies thank you so much
1: angelica thank you so much for um giving us part of your work day oh my god that was a great interview
2: no problem
0: such a fun episode i hope you guys really enjoyed it and if you did please go on to itunes and leave us a review let us know what you think um it really helps the success of the podcast and spreading this message much love guys